What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I know things are just a little bit different, and I do want to apologize. We have had a winter storm over here in Texas, so my video is just a little bit late. But uh, yeah, thank you and welcome back. Now, usually I would be doing an intro video that would be showing off my guests, but a lot of my guests from now on are going to be podcast exclusive people, so it's going to be a little hard to get actual footage of them. So I decided to make this a little bit more podcast friendly since I'll be airing these on my podcasting platforms from now on as well. So if you guys want to check this out on a podcasting platform like Spotify or anything like that, I'll put a link in the description box down below if you're watching this on YouTube. If you are listening to this on podcasting platforms, then welcome and I do appreciate you listening. Today's guest is Rob Romance. He's the host of the Witness Podcast, which is an acronym which we'll explain in the video. Rob is an open book, and even though he's living a great life of fulfillment, raising a family, happily married, successful career, it hasn't always been like that. And in fact, there were a lot of bumps along the road for Rob before he found his true calling. We do talk about suicidal thoughts, so if you're not about that, that is totally fine. You can check out any of my other podcasts or any of my other videos. You can check out Rob on Instagram and the Whitmas website, where they have their own merch, and you can find the podcast on there as well. And if you're a fan of my work, I highly recommend them as well. Before I start rambling on like I usually do, let's get straight into the video. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the Mental Health Chats. I am Lucky or Mental Health Casual, whatever you prefer. And um, yeah, I it's been a little while since I've done one of these uh, yet again. My last one with was with the uh, very talented uh, Megan Judge, uh, host of Judging Megan. And um, you know, I every now and then it's just it's just it's just really hard for me uh, since I do have I still struggle with social anxiety, not quite as much as I used to, but um, Sometimes these videos are a little hard for me to make because I've had to, you know, I used to just delve into YouTube. I'd have to go all the way at the bottom to the where, around where people are the same, have the same subscriber count, figure out if they want to do a video with me, all that kind of stuff. So instead, I kind of went on an uh, on my own to a website called Matchmaker and kind of, um, you know, found some people on there. And one of the first people that responded to me was my guest today. Um, he is uh, one of the hosts, well, the main host. Of course, he has a co-host as well of the Whitmas podcast, uh, what I tell my younger self is what the acronym stands for. And, um, you know, I've been listening to it for a long time, for, you know, a little while since, um, well, I've listened to all the episodes so far, but, uh, um, and I highly recommend each and every one of you guys watch, uh, you know, watching this to listen to that as well, because it has a lot of the same um, core messages with some different backgrounds, some very interesting backgrounds um from it but um you know thank you for uh being on rob i really appreciate it um i i really want to get started because you're i usually ask people you know what is your mental health journey you have a very interesting one so if yeah. i could just start out with um could you kind of talk about your the 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 way that your school life was and the way that your home life was because it, it didn't sound like you were getting along with school very well, and that kind of translated into what was going on with your home life. Yeah, well, thank you for reaching out to me. This is great. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of your show. Um, my younger years, for anyone who has listened to the podcast, and I'm, I'm really happy you are. That makes, that makes it all worthwhile, so thank you. Um, my depression set in when I was really young. Um, I estimate about seven years old based off of you know the grade of school I was in and you know 
that type of age range. Um, but I was struggling in school and I, and now that I'm an adult and I look back and kind of can process things, I really think my method of learning was different than most people. I'm very audio visual. I struggled with the SATs. I struggle with standardized testing. Like it just doesn't really work with the way my, my brain processes. Well, back when I was in elementary school, there was only one way, right? They didn't have, you know, what, whatever your opinion is on Common Core and they didn't have other methods of learning. Point being is it was like, this is it. That's what you got to learn. And this is how you got to learn it. And so for me, that was a struggle. And I was never diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure I had some sort of att attention disorder. And I just, I could not find a way to succeed in school. So when I got home with poor grades, naturally my parents were upset and while still, you know, they were great parents and they, they wanted the best for me, I got a lot of discipline for that. And so that was hard. And then I go to school and I was kind of antisocial. I was overweight and I, I kind of just st stuck to myself, played by myself. And while well, I became a target for bullies and two people in particular, just every day made it a point to find me on the playground and just drill into me. And so between the home life being tough and then the school life being tough, I really just had a very hard time with my childhood. And, and at such a young age, I didn't know how to process that. It just seemed like, you know, everywhere I go, every more or less every minute of the day, somebody was coming down on me with negative attention. And so I, I just internalized that and it made it very difficult for me. Yeah, and I think uh, I think Crush put it the the best is like you almost had nowhere to rest, right? You had nowhere to kind yeah. of escape to. And um, uh, by the way, Crush is, is your co-host on the yeah, <laughs> Winmas yes. podcast. For anybody that is, uh, <laughs> you're just throwing it out there as insider yeah. secret. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, I I think it's a really interesting thing. And you had talked about, um, you know, off air we were kind of talking about suicide. You had talked about having. Uh, you know, suicidal at least thoughts um, at a very very young age around yeah. that time. Um, what what is it like to have um, those kind of thought those kinds of thoughts at that time? Because I had mine when I was probably I mean I probably have had them a little bit younger. I don't quite remember, but when I started having mine, it was roughly after high school, and it um, I had some more logic behind it, but at the same time, you know, there was some uh, conflicting things going on. Mm -hmm. But I still understood that it wasn't exactly the right thing to do. Um, how, how was it to experience those thoughts at such a young age? Well, it's both, it was both a blessing and a curse. And I say that because it was a blessing that I didn't know how to carry, carry it through. You know, I, at the time at seven years old, I don't even know what the word means, let alone, you know, actions to, to fulfill it. And so for me, I grew up Catholic and I just, I vividly remember that to this day, you know, I would just lay in my bed and cry and, you know, pray to God I didn't want to be here anymore. And so when I, when I emphasize that the feelings were real, that's what I mean. I didn't know how to commit suicide. I didn't know what it meant to commit suicide. All I know is I had an uncontrollable depression that left me very off on my emotions. And I was praying that I wanted to be done, you know, and 
again, the, the memories are a little fuzzy because I was so young, but I remember that to this day, just praying and praying and saying, I don't want to be here anymore. And so I guess that's the blessing is I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. But the curse is I was so young, I didn't have the mindset to understand it. I didn't have the tools to maybe work through it or, or you know, have, tell my parents what was going on. You know, my mom and dad asked me all the time, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And I didn't know what to tell them. How do you explain that in seven-year-old words? And so I, I lacked the capacity to seek help, even if I wanted it. And so that was the hard part. And so I just kind of, you know, kept pushing forward, but it was a huge struggle in my life. So, mm, yeah, no, that's, um, I mean, that is a, a difficulty, right? You know, I'm, I'm watching my nephew is about six right now and he gets frustrated whenever he can't really say, put words to what he's trying to say. So we, we right. tell him, you know, use your words, all that kind of stuff. There's not really words for, for that type of uh, thought process when you are so young, you know, mm. and uh, even then it's, you know, you have to think at the same time. It's, uh, you know, you have to also think, you know, what would my, what are my parents going to think? Um, obviously from the back, that type of background as well. Mm. Um, yeah. So the, my heart goes out for that, man. That is a, that is a tough situation. And, you know, obviously for anybody going through any type of uh, suicidal tendencies or suicidal thoughts mm. at any point in their life, it's a very um, tough thing. And this is, um, this is where we, we kind of get into, um, you know, your, your podcast, uh, what I tell my younger self um, can you kind of explain, you know, where you came up with that? Is this a podcast where you really want to, you know, kind of express what you tell your younger self for people that may, um, may have the same feelings as your younger self, maybe advice for somebody that's going through the same things that you went through as a kid? Um, yeah, I mean, can you explain a little bit of what, why you started that podcast and what, what, uh, what your goal is in it? Yeah, and that's exactly the point is... Like I had mentioned, I at that age or even a little bit older than that, I didn't know how to seek help. I didn't know how to get the resources to to understand what I was going through. And and even though it's more prevalent today, we're a lot more aware of mental health issues. As a young kid, sometimes, you know, you don't want to just call the suicide hotline, right? I mean, that's not exactly the first choice that comes to mind. And so the idea behind the podcast, I just thought to myself one day, I'm like, you know, what could I have done for me if I could speak to my younger self, right? I put it in perspective, how I felt, what I was going through. Now I'm an adult, I'm a father, I'm, I'm past my depression. What would I have told myself? And that's kind of the premise of the podcast is helping my younger self in a way that can help other people who are struggling in the same way. And, you know, our, our focus is not just young kids, you know, our focus is through, through generations, but I feel like the advice, the stories, the, you know, just the mindset of the discussions is enough to kind of either put things in perspective, or at least have people understand that what they're going through is, while it is unique to each person, you're not alone in this. People do understand your feelings. People are willing to help and, and be there for you in these times of need. So that's kind of just the general principle behind it. Yeah, and I think you you and your co-host, Crush, they, you guys bring very interesting perspectives. I mean, uh, Crush was a police officer and you are a nurse now. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, two very, 
very uh, two frontline workers, and especially you know the nursing community right now at this point in time is um, has to be taxed quite a bit. I've heard uh, some uh, some stories about PTSD rates going up in in the yeah. frontline uh, workers right now. So first off, thank you for that. That's uh, that's awesome that you are well, doing that, that and helping us. Um, a lot of times, you know, we kind of look to uh, certain people that are going to combat, but um, we also have to think about the people that are ner that are uh, keeping us uh, keeping us healthy at home, um, so that we can, you know, so that uh, potentially there could be people to go out to combat, right? Um, so yeah. that's always a very important thing. Could you explain um, how your childhood, you know, what you've learned um, has helped you become a nurse? Because nursing, it to me, I mean, I could never do it. I'm one of those people that kind of puts everything into somebody, and sometimes I forget about myself and. Mm -hmm then I start to grow resentment towards the person because I feel like they're yeah. not, you know, they're not getting me, even though, you know, it's more my fault for not letting that, uh, uh, that person know exactly how I'm feeling. What have you learned, um, you know, being in the nursing profession and how have you kind of been able to figure out how to focus on yourself, even though you are caring for so many people at this time? So the nursing came after the depression. Um, I had gotten through my struggles at that point when I decided to go back for my nursing degree. So degree, excuse me. So at that point, um, I think my trajectory in life was a little different. And so much more manageable. Um, I, I knew that I liked helping people from my past experiences with it. And I totally agree with you. You can, you can definitely lose yourself in helping people. And that was one of my struggles in my teenage years in high school is because even though I was kind of getting over my own troubles, I surrounded myself with other people's troubles intentionally. I was trying to help the other people who were still struggling in those years. And by that time, as you know, suicide ideals of, you know, suicide are a lot more prevalent. And so I found myself surrounding my, my <laughs> self again with these negative feelings that I wasn't ready for. And so I, I understand completely, you do get lost in it. And, and sometimes it drags you down too. And while your intentions are there, you know, you want to do the right thing and you want to do what's, what you're intending to do for them. You have to maintain your own self-interest as well. You need to take care of yourself because if you get lost too, then it's all for nothing. So, um, but anyway, so back to the nursing, you know, Crush mentioned something in one of the episodes and I honestly didn't even think of this perspective until he said it. Um, I've had this mission all along. I just didn't know it. Um, what I had done in my teenage years, what I had done in my college years, and, and honestly, every year after that, where I actively try to help other people. That's kind of just been my mission. And it was not intended, I guess. It's just my nature. But everything I do is it's keeping in mind what someone else is going through. And so I think nursing, I just kind of fell into it. And I think it was just a natural way for me. Um, you know, I finished my first degree, which was communications. So I've graduated college. I was ready to take on the world and look for a job. And I'm like, I don't want to do this, you know, <laughs> which is unfortunate. And, and I'll admit it, it was about five years of school to get that communications degree, because frankly, I didn't know what I really wanted. And so it took a while of figuring it out. And, and I get done with school and I'm like, oh, why did I do that? Like, that's not what I want. And so I really kind of had a uh, moment of clarity where it's like, okay, if I could choose any one thing, get paid to do it, make a career out of it, what would it be? And naturally my thought is helping people. 
And the reality is I didn't have the uh, wits or smarts to get into med school. And frankly, looking back, I'm actually much happier with the nursing route, but um, it just seemed like the right thing to do. And so I ended up completely not disregarding my first major because obviously I still have that knowledge, but I completely took a different direction, started over, got a job in a hospital as a, you know, an assistant. I wasn't even medical at that point and just kind of worked my way up the ladder at that point. And, and I just kind of, as the doors opened, I walked through them, you know? Yeah, that is a powerful message. I mean, I, I've talked about it on this channel is that I, I, um, dropped out of uh, college, but due to my addictions, I was, you know, smoking way too much. I'd show up at, you know, school high as a kite and I was a philosophy <laughs> major. And, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot from philosophy and I still, you know, read philosophy and it kind of helps me a lot with the critical thinking aspects. Like a lot of these, um, you know, I remember somebody telling me, you know, a lot of the lessons that you learn in life are never just useless. It just depends on how you use them. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's a perfect, um, you know, explanation of how, you know, you've, uh, you've kind of moved on from that, you know, you've kind of learned, um, you know, something that you really didn't want to do. And then you kind of went for something that you did want to do, but you still have that foundation of, uh, you know, your communications major um, to kind of, to uh, kind of use to kind of supplement what you're doing right now. And I think that's a really good message because sometimes I, I feel like uh, one thing I like about your, your guys' podcast is that it's a, mostly about not giving up. I mean, Crush talks about it with his Sunrise Theory and, um, you know, just make it to the next day, right? Just make it to the next day. Yeah. Um, don't worry about next week because you got to worry about the next day because, yeah. you know, ultimately you're kind of just throwing tomorrow away if you're just worrying about the next week. And I really like that message in your podcast. And I think, I think it's a really important message today, especially with the pandemic going on. People are kind of looking after, you know, out like, oh, you know, when is this going to end? When is yeah. this going to end? And we've been hearing this, you know, no matter what you, uh, what side you, you lean on, we've been hearing this for a while. And so, you know, I think just worrying about the next day is a really powerful message, especially now. And, you know, I think that's kind of what, uh, that, I mean, that's what I really like about your, your guys' podcast, that it, it, it's, it's a very simple message, but people forget about it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, since you are, um, since you are a father, you know, what, uh, what are you, you know, since you, you do a podcast where you, you talk about what advice you'd give to your younger self, I mean, what advice would you, you know, will you eventually, obviously, um, you know, your kids are pretty young right now, but you yeah. know, what advice will you eventually want to give them so they avoid some of the things that you do, did? And what mistakes are you hoping that they do make? Because, uh, you know, it does seem that, uh, you know, obviously you seem, you know, pretty well put together now and you're, you're doing a lot of good stuff and you've learned from the mistakes of your past. But, mm -hmm. you know, are, are there some mistakes that you do hope that they do that they do make and are able to, um, you know, overcome? Well, great question, first of all. And it's a lot to think about. Obviously, when you're in my shoes as a dad, your thought process changes. Um, you know, I can look on myself and say, I wish you would have done this different or this different, but my kids need to figure it out for themselves too. And while I never want them to go through the struggle that I did, a little bit of struggle is actually very important because it teaches you important lessons in life. It teaches you to cope and it teaches you how to get stronger about certain things and, and push on and know that you can get through hard times. And, you know, the big message that I tell myself is, would I be the person I am today had I not gone through those things? And, you know, looking back, I, I, it's so easy for me to say, I wish that never happened. 
And in many cases, it's true. You know, I wish I never had felt suicidal. I wish I never felt like I wanted my life to end. That's terrible. But if you encompass the whole picture, it makes you who you are. And you can't neglect that. You can't disregard the fact that, you know, all those struggles will amount to something. Does it have to be a severe? Hopefully not. But I do want my kids to find their way through life, find out how to socialize with both people who are being nice and not being nice, find a way to cope with those angers and those sadness. You know, that's very important growth in life. And it's, it's a growth that I struggled with mainly because I feel like I didn't have a lot of support at the time. And so I guess what I would like to do for my kids is just be there for them. You know, tell them that their feelings are normal. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to cry. It's okay to, you know, all those feelings that they're inevitably, inevitably going to go through. They need to know that there, there's nothing wrong with that, especially, you know, my boy, right? Uh, you know, being a man, you, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's very hard to be vulnerable. That's just human nature. You know, it's how our society raises us. That's how we become, you know, and I know things are changing and, you know, it's becoming a lot more acceptable, et cetera. But the reality is we're still supposed to be the example, right? We're still, and, and that sounds bad, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you're, I don't want to dig myself a hole here, but <laughs> we, we get in the mindset that we have to be tough and we have to show everybody that we're, we're, we can make it through anything. Well, it's okay if you don't. You know, it's okay if you cry. It's okay if you get emotional over something, as long as you learn from it, as long as you build a, you know, a support or a foundation of support and know how to get through it and traverse those terrains. And I think it's actually healthy. I think in many ways, these days, we try to protect our kids too much and we don't let them learn the hard way and we don't let them fall and hurt themselves and we don't let them fight with their friends and figure out how to get through that in a in a you know a reasonable manner and obviously kids need boundaries and they need to be encouraged uh, to do it the right way but nonetheless they have to go through that process by themselves or they're they're never gonna really build that the necessary foundation for growth and so Again, to kind of bring it back to your question, I don't want to see my kids be hurt. I don't want to see them struggle. And I never want to see them get as depressed as I was. But at the same time, I want them to learn and make their way through life the way they need to, to, to grow into adults who can handle all the bad things that can happen. You know, it's, it's just nature. So. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. I think there is, um, you know, there's this uh, author, uh, Jonathan Haidt, who, who um, wrote this book. I've been talking about it a lot, even though I've never read it. I've only, <laughs> I've only heard the guy talk about it. Um, I'm a little bit like you. I, I'm, I'm an much audio more, book yeah, guy. I, I, exactly. So, um, you know, but he, he talks about, you know, how, um, you know, parents kind of coddling their children has kind of led to people being more sensitive to things. So, you know, and not you know, building up the resilience, you know, so to speak, yeah. um, to be able to take on the world, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it, it, it is a hard and by the way, I don't want to, you know, uh, I'm not trying to attack parents here. It's a very tough job because you're there to protect your kid. 
yet you also need to give them space so that they fail, right? It's very difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's like a tightrope, right? And uh, mm -hmm. so um, mainly I ask that question because I'm very curious myself as somebody who eventually wants kids, uh, but, you know, still dealing with some, uh, some mental illness of my own. Um, it, it can be kind of tough to kind of think about. And so, you know, thank you for that answer. I think that's, that's a great way to, to, uh, to sum it up. And, you know, I, you know, I come from a Samoan background and they're very, very strict, uh, with their, uh, with their kids, um, in terms of respect and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, different, different parenting methods. I've, I've heard yeah. them all. So, um, but I, I kind of want to talk about something, you know, you had talked about surrounding yourself with kids who are kind of going through the same things as you. Um, mm -hmm. One of them did not make it, unfortunately, in terms of, uh, you know, him giving into um, or, you know, the uh, the depression kind of uh, taking over and eventually mm -hmm. them taking their own lives. Um, what what was your thought at that time? Because, you know, that kid, um, at least from from what I heard in your podcast, wasn't exactly one of the like the main kids that you were always around. But um, how did that affect you? Because, you know, in my my more recent video about suicide, every time I hear about somebody in the news committing it. It, it almost takes a little part of me away. It's almost like um, like survivor's guilt, you know? You just mm -hmm. feel like, you know, I made it. How come they didn't make it, you know? I, I talk about, you know, Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park and, um, right. you know, uh, Chris Cornell uh, from Soundgarden and Audio Slave and, mm -hmm. you know, these people that helped with my, my mental illness succumb to theirs. Like, how is that fair? And uh, so, yeah, I mean, what was it like to have somebody that you actually knew um, uh, commit suicide? Well, I think you would agree that... You know, I, I feel like there's no lower point than suicidal ideation other than actually committing, right? And so you and I, I think, stand here as survivors, as people who have come out the other side, thinking, okay, well, no one other than other people with those ideations ha has gotten that low in life, right? So you think if I can do it, if you can do it, you want to believe that they can do it, right? I mean, I think that's just natural for us to think, hey, I, I did it, you can do it. And everybody's different. Everybody's willpower, everybody's strength, everybody's resilience, everybody's different. And um, unfortunately, some people do give in. And I just remember going to school that day. And, and again, he was an acquaintance. I saw him in the halls. I knew his name. I waved. I said hello. But I never really got close to him. I didn't know him that well. But coming into school, and um, my school was very open about it. You know, they didn't want rumors going around. They didn't want things being said that weren't true. So they told the whole entire school very early as soon as we got into school that day. And, you know, as a, what was I at that point, probably 17, maybe 18 years old, um, you know, you're just kind of figuring out your own life, everybody, not just me, but, you know, you're going through puberty, you're, you're deciding, are you going to be, you know, the jock, or are you going to be the cool kid, or where you want to fit in, right? So there's a lot of persuasive emotions going through your head already, and then you find this out, and honestly, you don't know what to think. It's one of those things where I just saw him on Friday. What do you mean he's not coming back? You know, it just doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't quite connect. And I just remember sitting in class because obviously we still had class. It's not like we could just sit there and discuss it. It was like, hey, this is what happened. We want you to know if you need help, come to the office, but then <laughs> resume school as usual. 
And so I just remember sitting in class going, you know, I just saw him on Friday. I, I can't wrap my head around the fact that not only is he not coming back tomorrow or the next day, he's, he's, he's not coming back. And, and then, you know, with my mission at the time, which was to help people who are struggling, I, I think it was only natural for me to think, well, could I have done something? You know, did I, did I not see behind that smile that he was hurting and, and maybe I should have and offered my help or, or what have you. And, and again, it's all hindsight and it's, and it's easy to be hard on yourself after the fact. Um, but given the fact that I was trying to do that for people, I, I felt like I missed an opportunity. And looking back now with everything that I know now, I understand that that wasn't my responsibility to take that on. You know, he, he made a choice, he, he, whether he had support systems or not, you know, they were there for him. I didn't have to be, but I wanted to be. And so that was really hard for me to manage, especially knowing all the other suicidal kids that I was kind of juggling at the time. It kind of just left me with a lot of questions. You know, am I doing the right thing for these people? Am I, am I even helping by trying to be friendly and trying to be there for them? Um, or am I, am I making things worse? You just don't know. And so I think obviously at, had I known him more, it probably would have hit me a little more personal and I probably would have been much more, I was more upset with myself um, just because I felt like I had failed him. But I know people closer to him, you know, it, it was heartbreaking. And so it, it's, a, it's a lot of emotion to deal with when you're that young. So it's hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've had, um, you know, family members, maybe not the closest family members, um, but yeah, I've had family members, uh, you know, lose their, their lives to the same thing. And it's, it, it is, it is very, very tough because, you know, I, I think it's really, really tough on the, the, the parents, you know, of course, because mm -hmm. they wonder what they could have done differently. You know, here we are talking about, you know, a little bit earlier about parenting, you know, how much space do you give them so that they fail, right. all that kind of stuff. And um, it can be really tough. I mean, I know my mom beat herself up a little bit when I went to the, the hospital initially for my 5150. You know, it was really, you know, she would break down at work, you know, people would pray with her, all that kind of kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then it, it kind of came back on me because then I felt guilty for, you know, it, it's just this never ending guilt trip. <laughs> yeah, it's a cycle. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it, it's it's a real tough thing. And that's why I always tell people that, uh, you know, suicide is just, it's just not the answer because you're not the only mm -hmm. one involved in it, right? It's, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in that case, you know, your whole school had to make an announcement about it. You know, that's, 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 in, that's involving everyone. And so, yeah. um, but, you know, I think um, one of the most, one of the more interesting stories I I had read about this on your profile, and I was trying to figure out what in the world it meant. And you talked about <laughs> a very pushy um, person in your life that ended up kind of forcing you out of your your your, your bubble, out of your space, yeah. so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but before we get into that, could you kind of talk a little bit about your your college years and how you kind of branched out? Um, because a lot of times people feel like they can't take a chance, like it, you know, what if I fail? Kind of what we were talking about a little bit earlier, but it seemed like you really just wanted to get out. Um, how yeah. important was getting out for you? My my big struggle, my depression, if you will, lasted probably again from about seven years old till I'm going to say ten or twelve. Right at that point, 
um, you know, with my story, I started doing a little better in school. I started making my parents happy with my grades. And so that took a lot of the pressure off. Now I just had to deal with the bullies. And that was just kind of a, it just had to run its course. And eventually I went to a new school and they weren't there anymore. So I feel like my, my general problems were over, if you will, not over, but like I, I started moving past them. But then I ran into a whole new dynamic that I wasn't ready for. And that was um, social, the social scene. Um, at this point, I had some friends. I, I've had friends all along, but I was making friends in my new school. And I, I kind of started to becoming more talkative and social. But I could never talk to women. I was just so intimidated. I never, I don't know. I just, I always, that part of me was always socially awkward. And so you go in into high school and even into college and people are dating and, and I, I struggled so much. And that was a whole new set of depression, as you know, because now loneliness comes into the picture. Here I see all my friends going out with girls and having, you know, fun and relationship with girls. And, and I'm on the sidelines again, just kind of watching from the outside. And, and that sadness that came from loneliness is a whole new sadness that I wasn't, I hadn't experienced yet. And so my college years, um, that's kind of where I was. Now I'm not upset about my weight or I'm not upset about being bullied or all the problems, I, the trials I had before. Now I have a whole new set of problems. You know, why can't I be like them? Why can't I socialize? Why can't I talk to girls? Why can't I date? Why, you know, and all of a sudden, once again, I'm beating myself up again. And um, that was tough. That was really tough in college because, you know, I left my hometown trying to start over. That was kind of my whole point. And here I am now secluded again. Um, I, for anyone who's listened to my story, the roommate that I moved out there with, he ended up leaving, dropping out of college a semester later. So here I am completely away from all friends and family in a, in a strange place all by myself. And while I could talk to the guys now and hang out with the guys, I, I couldn't talk to a girl for the life of me. And so I, this overwhelming sense of loneliness now it looms over me. And especially in college, when everyone's going out and meeting people and, and here I am sitting by myself. So that was a whole nother struggle. Um, and, and unfortunately, it, you know, or excuse me, fortunately, it didn't get as bad as, it, you know, my younger years. I never was suicidal, but that didn't change me from being depressed again. And so I was very sad again <laughs> for the first couple of years of my college experience. And so if you want me to jump into the next part that you mentioned with, you know, the roommate who. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's important. I. You know, I, I talk about, you know, some of the people that have really helped me the most in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really people that are a little bit more outgoing than I am. But at the same time, they didn't actually try and uh, they didn't exactly try and change me. They just wanted me to be there. Right. They just wanted yeah. me. It's not like they wanted me to be like them. They just wanted me in the room with them. And mm -hmm. that's some of the most validating um those are some of the most the most validating experiences I ever had. But you know, that's just a preface for what we're about to talk about. But yeah, if you can yeah. talk about this, this is one of the most incredible. Uh, <laughs> this has to be one of the most incredible people, I, person I've ever heard about in terms of yeah, uh, yeah, just everything. But yeah, if you'd go into that for us, sure. And and I agree with you. Just being included, right? And that's such a big deal in society right now is inclusion and just that simple act of people wanting you to be there. 
you know, they don't need to change you. They don't need to force you into anything. They just want you there. They want your presence. And that, that gives you a, a inner sense of acceptance and it gives you a little courage to maybe push further on your own. But so the first 22 years of my life now have been mostly sadness, depression. And so, but I, I didn't, I knew I didn't want to live that way. I knew how much it hurt. I knew how it felt. And that's not a, that's not a uh, healthy thing to live with. And so I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to push myself forward. I wanted to break out of this cycle, but I just didn't know how. And so when my roommate uh, dropped out, I was in my dorm room alone, like completely isolated. Now I didn't even have the one person <laughs> who came there with me to keep me company. And so my next best, thing, next best thing would be to open my door and allow for people walking through the halls to come in and say hello. And we, we went to a commuter school, so there were a lot of people in the dorms, very big Greek life. So everyone's always popping in and out of rooms, trying to figure out what's going on, when's the next th fun thing going. And so for me to open my door was kind of like putting a welcome mat out and saying, hey, come on in. And so that... Um, well, to keep my story short, because you know I can talk for an hour about it, but I, I ended up uh, getting approached by a fraternity, and they managed to convince me out of my comfort zone to join the fraternity. Well, after uh, you know a month or so of going out and being very uncomfortable, I decided it wasn't going to work for me, and I ended up dropping out. Well, one of the guys from the fraternity at that point knew that I was living by myself in the dorms and he needed to get out of his room. He didn't like his roommate. So he's like, hey, can I move in? And I'm like, well, I guess, I don't know the rules, but I have an open bed. And so he kind of more or less without even taking a real answer forced his way into my room. And, and he was a friendly guy and I had no problems living with him. But now, you know, I'm sitting there on my computer playing video games and he's, you know, bringing fraternity and sorority girls in my room, play, you know, partying in the other side. And it was just a very funny, awkward situation. And um, I welcomed it because I didn't have to force myself into that situation. It came to me. Well, it didn't stop me, though, from kind of being antisocial. You know, I'd, I'd sit there over the computer saying hi and seeing what's going on, but I'd still be just kind of in my zone. And you know, as they got to know me, they naturally, like you said, they wanted me in the room. They wanted me to be there with them. They wanted to include me. Well, when they would leave, I'd always deny. I'd always say, no, I'm okay. I wasn't comfortable with the whole party scene. I'm just going to stay here. And they accepted that for a little while. But at some point, I think they kind of caught on that I was interested. You know, they knew that like I was putting my foot in the water, but then I just wouldn't get in. And so my roommate at the time, he goes, look, we're going out tonight and you're coming with us. And I'm like, and I gave him my, you know, my normal answer, like, no, I'm okay. And he goes, no, you're coming with us. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not, you know, like it's, it's uncomfortable for me. And I mean, I was at the time, I think I was pushing 200 pounds. He's a big guy, obviously, but I'm pushing 200 pounds. And without even like getting me out of my chair, he just picked up the whole chair with me in it and walked me out. He goes, no, you're coming with us, you know? And so he really, at that point, I, I understood, like, they could have easily said, uh, he, he wants to sit there on his computer all night, let's leave him alone. But they didn't want that for me. They, they wanted more for me 
they wanted my friendship. They wanted my companionship. They wanted all of this from me to a point where he was willing to lift me up and walk me away. And something about that moment, I, I, I mean, I can't even tell you what clicked in my head, but I just knew that, okay, these people want to be with me. They want to be friends. They want to have fun. They want to, you know, they want to show me how to enjoy life. And up until now, I've completely shut that out personally. Nobody made me do it. I decided to do it. So I'm like, maybe I'm the one who needs to start thinking different. Maybe I'm the one who needs to stop putting myself down and, and telling myself that I'm worthless and telling myself that nobody wants to be with, be around me and nobody wants to have, you know, have a friendship with me. I told myself all of these things for so long that I believed it. Um, and it just goes to show you how powerful your mind can be. Um, and I believed it so much that even when it was staring me in the face, I was still saying, no, they don't want to hang out with me, even though their words and their actions were telling me different. And just that, that action of him kind of just forcing me out and, and not taking no for an answer and, and showing me that they really want to be around me and they enjoy my company. It just broke that cycle of, of you know, self-deprecation. Well, I don't know, that's not the right word. What is it? Self, um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I was my biggest worst enemy. Everything I thought about myself, everything I told myself, everything that I manifested in my mind couldn't have been further from the truth. You know, I told myself that I'm weird and no one wants to talk to me and nobody wants to be friends with me and nobody wants to hang out with me. You know, I told myself that you are alone and you're always going to be alone. And he, he proved me wrong. And, and it was so powerful that it, it kind of just made me take a different perspective on the whole situation. And it didn't change overnight. That was just one moment that kind of got me thinking differently. I still you know, I didn't turn into a social butterfly the next day and, you know, party every day. And that didn't happen. Eventually, I worked myself into being a social person. But it took years after that to get there. But that was the moment that I, I shifted from, you know, not loving myself to starting to appreciate who I was. So, yeah, and I think that's really powerful, right? Because a lot of times when our minds kind of tell us this, it's like the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's just, you know, you want, like, you'll always be alone. So you just kind of push people away. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you are alone, even though yeah. that could have been avoided, right? And sometimes it really does, I mean, it kind of, sometimes it takes a kick in the butt to really get you out of that. And it sounds like that guy was definitely yeah. the, the kick in the butt you needed. And I think this brings us really uh, nicely in into the next subject that I really wanted to talk about because you are a lot like me. I can hold my liquor very, very, very <laughs> well. Unfortunately, very well. Samoans, for so my mom always had this uh, understanding that Samoans couldn't uh, hold their liquor very well. She's, she's not Samoan, <laughs> but uh, my, my dad was. Um, he, he couldn't hold his liquor very well, but apparently he's like the outlier because all of my cousins have, you know, every time I go to their, their place, they got like a, a 40 pack of 40 ounce mickeys <laughs> that they destroy in one night and that, that's oh, yeah. not that's just like one that's just one part of it it's just there's alcohol everywhere mm -hmm. um the the thing is is when you're i'm gonna I'm I'm put quotations mark when you're good at something 
it's kind of, and you're getting, I, I'm assuming that you got some type of uh, affirmation about it. Like, wow, you can really hold your stuff yeah. and all that kind of stuff. How do you kick yourself out of that? Do you realize there is, that this is too much? Are you gaining weight at that point? Like, what what, what kind of kicked you out of that? So, you're right. It, it did give me affirmation. And in, in retrospect, you know, keep in mind my age, the environment, you know, the fraternity, like that was what I was revolving around was a party scene. And so I don't want to glorify that because obviously excessive drinking can be harmful. Um, but in the moment and what I was surrounded with, yes, that got me praise, you know, like, hey, you know, try to take Rob, he can, he can do it, you know, and so I was getting social, um, you know, uh, reinforcement from my friends and, and my peers that what I was doing was good. So that made me feel good. Well, what happens is, and I think you, you know this too, since you've had your past with it, um, you kind of lose your control over it. Um, all of a sudden, what was just intended to be fun now kind of becomes a problem. Um, not only do you increase your tolerance, right? You might start here, which is high, but then everything you're drinking is putting you even higher. So now I'm drinking quantities of alcohol that are dangerous, regardless of whether or not I pass out or whatever. It doesn't matter if I can handle it. It's completely unhealthy. It's hard on your, you know, your liver. It's hard on your body. It's hard on everything. And, you know, and so, but you don't realize that. Cause it's, it's such a slow and gradual process. Um, you know, you just, it's just another day, except I'm drinking 10 more beers this time, you know, and that started to really take a toll on my health. Um, I didn't feel good most days. I didn't look good. In my opinion, I was gaining a lot of weight. Um, it just, it was, it was in many ways starting to drag me down instead of being a positive thing, which is what it started as, is just kind of a social, you know, you're getting some praises. And I did gain a lot of weight. I think I put on about 30 something pounds, 40 pounds of strictly alcohol weight because that was the only thing in my life that changed. My eating habits were the same. My exercise habits were the same or lack thereof. And all I did different was drink. And, and all of a sudden I just, I, I got very heavy. Um, I got to about 275 pounds. And like I said, when I got to college, I was probably like 210, 220 or something. So I put on a lot of weight and um, I realized that I wasn't fitting into my clothes anymore. Um, I, w I worked at Eddie Bauer at the time and they didn't even carry the size jeans that I needed at that point. So I had to like fill out this special order form to just get a pair of jeans and I'm just like this is like this is that was my moment my scared sober moment you know when I have to special order my clothes because you know now we have like big and tall and you know a lot more sensitive to big, either taller or larger people but back then I mean you might be able to go to like you know the rack or something and get some sweatpants but it, you couldn't get normal normal clothes uh for that size and so I'm like okay that really put a halt to um, me just completely disregarding my health. I realized that, you know, in some way, shape or form, this is going to take a toll on me. Not to mention, 
I, I started having, you know, changes in my attitude. I started having changes in the way I treated people. I got very, uh, what's the right word? Um, I guess pompous, you know, I kind of felt like, okay, I'm in college. No one can tell me yes or no, or what to do. And, and I, and I'm now I'm on top of the social platform. I can do whatever I want. And so I kind of got a little obnoxious and rude and disregarding of other people's you know feelings. And especially my family, they felt it a lot. And so I actually had a little intervention with my dad and my brother at one point, you know, they had to sit me down and be like, hey, you can't act like this. You know, I don't know what happened to you, but this is a problem. And so between the weight gain and the intervention and everything in between, I just realized the direction I was going in life was not good. Um, nor did I think that I would live very long to tell the tale at the rate I was going. And so fortunately, I had the willpower to try to turn that around. Um, the other thing that I, you know, mentioned in my podcast is I was smoking a lot at this point too. I mean, it wasn't uncommon for me to go through, you know, a couple packs a week and mind you, I was sharing them. So I didn't smoke them all, but going from someone who never smoked to now smoking like a pack of cigarettes, you know, every, you know, few days or whatever, it was pretty terrible. And so I decided to lose the weight. That was kind of step number one obviously the pants, right? <laughs> I wanted to fit into a pair of pants. And so I decided that I was going to cut down the drinking and start exercising. And then I realized very quickly, like you can't do it halfway. Like you either have to stop or you, you know, you don't exercise because <laughs> it's not conducive to run a, you know, run a mile when you're hungover. So so I, again, I'm very fortunate. And I think up until that point, the first, you know, 22 years of my life had built a lot of inner strength and a lot of resilience and a lot of willpower that I honestly didn't even know I had, but I completely stopped drinking. I mostly stopped smoking and I started running and I went on, excuse me, I went on an Atkins diet just to kind of get like a real quick win under my belt um no pun intended <laughs> and uh i lost like 30 pounds between the not drinking and the diet and then you know i could hardly run i think i got like 10 steps down the sidewalk and i would have to walk um but i kept at it you know and and before you know it i started seeing all of these like really positive results um i felt better i was my my mental you know capacity was getting better with school um, you know, my weight was going away. I started running. I think I got up to about five miles, which is amazing considering I couldn't take 10 steps in the beginning. Um, and people started to notice. And I think that was probably the biggest part is all of a sudden my friends and family are all supporting me now. Like, Hey, you're doing a great job. You look great. I can't believe you're doing this, you know, and the motivation was just, it was a feeling that I probably hadn't had up until that point where I can actually get those social accolades without doing something that hurts me, you know? <laughs> and so that was a really big turning point too, is just kind of getting my health, first my mind, right? And now my body, and then just bringing it all in together. It was, it was quite a transformation actually. Oh yeah, that's a that's a really great point. You know, when I stopped drinking, um, I actually didn't change my diet or anything like that. I lost so I, the heaviest I've ever been in my life, and take in mind that I'm about six two, six three, um, mm -hmm. and I was about 
330 pounds at the top of my drinking and I went down to 290 without switching my diet, anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, and all, I mean, I was exercising a little bit more because, you know, when I got home from, you know, when I got home from work, I would just be like, ah, I could go to the gym, but yeah. there are some brewskis in the fridge, you know, <laughs> they do need to be drank at some point. I need the ample amount of time. And, you know, it is like you're, like you're saying, right. It's not a very, it's not super conducive, um, to exercising and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I was doing a lot of the same things and, you know, I got to the point where I was just so embarrassed, you know, I was so, mm-hmm. I was tired of losing control and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of blaming the actions on the alcohol, right? I wanted to actually be able to, if I messed up, I wanted to blame it on me so that I could fix it. And with alcohol, you know, it's not one of those things that you can, if you're drunk, it's not like just something that you can fix, right? You kind of have to stop getting drunk at that yeah. point to kind of fix a lot of those things. And, you know, it's a super relatable story. And, um, you know, kudos for you to for for getting um, past that, especially. You know, it took me a long time after college to kind of get through that. So, you know, trying to get through that at that uh, that point is is very tough. So, um, but yeah. So, Rob, I really do appreciate you being on here. I always ask my guests one question, and you can take a little time to uh, think about it, of course. But um, I usually ask them, you know, what uh, what advice would you give to the people watching this if they were going, you know, kind of like what your podcast is all about, you yeah. know, um, yeah. somebody that's walked through your shoes, somebody that's out there, you know, uh, God forbid, committing or uh, considering, you know, suicide or, right. you know, anything like that. I mean, what what kind of uh, advice would you give them, you know, knowing what you know today, knowing what you've been through, knowing what you've, uh, you know, knowing what you've learned just from past experiences? What would you tell them? I think the number one lesson that I learned through all of this, no matter what stage of it it was, whether it was my, you know, early depression, my loneliness, my drinking, all the things that I went through over the probably 25 years of the beginning of my life, the one lesson that I learned is nothing happens instantly. Everybody wants the quick fix. I want to lose 20 pounds tomorrow. I want to run a marathon tomorrow. I want to stop drinking tomorrow. I want to cut smoking tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. And it's daunting. It's it's hard to think, oh, well, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort over a long period of time. That's not something anyone wants to admit. But the reality is nothing that I went through happen quickly um you know you look at me now a lot of people would like okay so when i released my podcast people got to hear things about my past that no one's ever heard including my family my mom and my dad would call me and be like why didn't you ever tell us this and it's like looking at me now you'd never know you think i had it made i i'm i'm happy i'm social i'm successful in my opinion you know like all this stuff in my lap shows a picture that does not show you what I went through to get here. And I think that's very important in all aspects of life, whether it be, you know, starting a business or a podcast or your show or what have you. Like, I, I, I'm right there with you. You know, you sit there going, oh, man, why can't I have 10,000 viewers? Why can't I, you know, where are the sponsors? Like, bring them on, you know. But the reality is that's not how life works. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes building upon building upon building to get to a point where you can even be comfortable and then some. And so to sum it up, 
don't expect too much too soon. Make your progress. Take it day at a time. If getting out of bed is your next biggest challenge, just worry about that. Don't worry about how you're going to lose the weight. Don't worry about how the depression is going to get better. Don't worry about everything as a, a whole. Worry about your next step. And we, we joke on the podcast because we say baby steps all the time, you know, and, and it's like, you can't emphasize that enough. In, in any sort of growth, but mental health in general, you have to take little steps and consider each foot forward a success. That's a win under your belt that you couldn't do yesterday. So no matter how small you may think, no matter how remedial of a task you may think it might be, up here, it's huge. And don't ever downplay that. You know, your progress is progress. And as long as you're moving forward, it's going to get better. And you just have to maybe go on a leap of faith and know that, it might take time. You may not always see it. And, and frankly, you may not always make progress. Uh, one of the big things that I mentioned in the podcast is you might fall down, you might stumble, you might fail one day, but that's just one day. If you can look at 60 days and say, hey, I only messed up three times, that's, that's progress. And so don't let your failures drag you down and just you know, keep taking those small motions forward and just know that in time it will get better. And don't try to do it by yourself. You know, having support, whether it be a friend or family or even listening to, you know, someone who's doing a, a motivational video. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. Hang on to that and know that you're not going through this by yourself. And, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Lean on people. That's why they're in your life. And, and those people who truly believe that there's no one in your life, well, then let us be that person, right? That's why we're doing this is to help motivate and to help inspire. And so even if it's as simple as seeing your show, Lucky, I mean, you're helping people. And I hope you understand that. So I appreciate what you're doing. I really appreciate it. And I, you know, I think that's just so powerful, right? I think people kind of forget how, you know, like what you're kind of talking about is like the scientific method, right? When you think about a hypothesis, a hypothesis that is put out there, you have to go through trial and error to prove that that hypothesis is correct, right? And sometimes it's not going to be. And you figure out what's what works for that, uh, you know, maybe you find another theory and that's what comes out of it. And I think mm -hmm. um, that's a really powerful message of, you know, I mean, I think that's what some of the most successful people say is, you know, you have to stay on it. You can't just um, expect results right away or just expect, you know, all these things to fall in your lap. And even if they did do that, a lot of the people that get things that fast, you know, it's easy come, easy go, right? Sometimes they lose it just as fast. Mm -hmm. You know, we see, uh, you know, Conor McGregor is out there and, you know, he somehow he spends $100 million within, you know, a given year or two. And we don't think that's fathomable, but, you know, obviously, yeah. but, you know, obviously he's doing the work as well. So there, there's <laughs> a lot of that too, but yeah, I really appreciate it, Rob. I, yeah. I think what you and Crush are doing is very, very important, especially coming from two frontline workers. Um, you know, it's just something that we don't hear about a whole lot because we, you know, kind of like with men, you think with frontline workers, you think they have to be strong. They have to be this, they have to do this. Um, but, you know, you you really can't strip away the fact that they're people too and that they're are 
there are things that are going to affect them. Um, you know, that's yeah. just kind of the, the truth of the matter. But Rob, one, once again, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you sharing your story on your podcast, on mine. Um, and, you know, I'm also looking forward to being on yours as well in, in a little bit. And so, you know, it, it's just like you said, you know, if you guys do need anything, um, you know, my email is out there. Um, you know, obviously, um, I'm going to put a lot of uh, I'm going to put your links down in the description box down below. Uh, but yeah, once again, Rob, I really appreciate you doing this. Well, and I appreciate what you're doing. And I want you to know that, you know, I, I watched that video and I was moved by it. And if I was, I'm sure someone else was. And, you know, the amount of people that you can reach, you'll never know. But just know that it is helping people. And it's hard. I, I think you'll agree. It's hard in the beginning when you don't necessarily see the fruits of your labor. But then you hear one person say hey like the fact that you've listened to my podcast makes me feel wonderful i know you invited me on your show but you had no obligation to listen to all my episodes and so for you to tell me that not only did you listen to it but you also took something from it that makes it all worthwhile and even if it's just you lucky i mean that that's one person that i've inspired and that's why we do this right and so again, I really appreciate what you're doing and I hope you continue to do it. It's, it's a great mission and I think you're doing a great job. Hey guys, thanks for watching Mental Health Casual. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe for more videos.